Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman, and today's episode is brought to you by my good friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver world-class customer service, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Now, I'm going to trick you here because I'm going to change up the intro just a bit because this week, Booking Protect and I have launched a brand new ebook called What Matters in Tickets Now. And this thing is really, really cool. It is 40 people from all over the world offering their ideas about what's important in tickets now. You'll recognize some of the names because they've been on the podcast before. So, um, I mean, obviously I'm in there. Uh, Simon Mab has a nice introduction and where the idea came from. Uh, Kate M. Rotkowski, uh, she's there. Um, Richard Howell gives a really great expl- uh, idea. Um, Tony Knopp, as I, if you saw the LinkedIn post I posted, um, he had a really thoughtful thing about what it means because of um, the legal right to own a ticket and what you know ownership means of a ticket. That's a really great one. Uh, Andrew Thomas from the Ticketing Professionals Conference, um, an Intix board member. Um, it's a really, really great collection. I, I think uh, Kate M. Rakowski, she sent me a note after I shared it with her because she contributed. And she's like, oh, if people put this thing to use, they would have like the coolest venue ever. Um, and so I hope they would sell a lot of tickets too. So go to the Booking Protect website. It's www.bookingprotect.com uh, backslash blog with another backsplash at the end. And it will take you to the top of the page where you can download the ebook, What Matters in Ticketing. Now, as an added bonus, we are going to announce a webinar that goes along in conjunction with the launch of the ebook. That's going to be, mark your calendars, February 26th. I still have to make sure about a couple of details, like the timing of the thing and everything, but it's going to be February 26th. It's Wednesday. Um, I'm going to try to make it at a time that's convenient or as convenient for um, people all over the world as possible. It's going to be awesome, though. It's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be takeaways, big themes, and action items that you can use um, to put to work for your organization. The best way to find out all the details about this is going to be to sign up for the Talking Tickets newsletter. And you can do that by visiting my website at DaveWakeman.com. And there will be a link for Get the Talking Tickets newsletter. Sign up there, and I'll hook you up. Now, my guest today is a repeat guest, a guy by the name of Ken Troop. And I had wanted to have Ken back because Ken is teaching some classes at uh, – on revenue and sports marketing and he asked me if I would Skype into his class which will as we post this podcast on January 30th will be tomorrow and what happened was I was talking through what Ken wanted to do in 2020 with him you know what he wanted to do personally professionally um, for his students you know with his clients and he said one of the things that he wanted to focus on was making 2020 a year of thinking differently and so i asked him to explain that to me because you know a lot of times we have these concepts and ideas that are great on the surface but they don't have a lot of meat to them 
And so I said, well, if, if you're serious about this and you have some good ideas around this, let's turn it into a podcast, right? Because um, this po- podcast is, this is episode 98. Um, I'm going to put up episode 99 uh, shortly. So they'll come pretty close together over the next couple of days. Um, and episode 100 is going to be kind of a relaunch of the podcast and a mission statement for me going forward. There'll be a special guest. I can't tell you who it is, but if you have a guess, tweet it at me at David Wakeman on the Twitters. Um, but so I wanted to have Ken on to talk about this idea of the year of thinking differently. And so you'll hear in the conversation, I kind of push him on the idea a little bit, um, you know, because I wanted him and all of you to understand what thinking differently means. It looks like, and I wanted to put a little bit more meat on it because sometimes we say, Hey, look, we're going to do, we're going to market. And what does that really mean? What we're going to sell. What does that really mean? We're going to do all these things and we don't necessarily always know exactly what they mean. And so I, I pushed Ken um, and we talked about what thinking differently means, what it looks like, you know, how to break things down, how to break down goals, uh, you know, how to use your network as a resource, how to create memories, um, you know, things that work, things that don't work. I, mean, I think this may be a pretty interesting conversation for everybody because of how I was able to push Ken to dig deeper on the idea. And I don't know that I've always done that on the podcast in a way that, you know, helps you see the way somebody can dig deeper on an idea. Um, I forget who uses this, uh, this concept or where I learned this thing, but it's about taking um, a second or third step in the thinking, like thinking to the third degree, right? So there's an idea as an immediate consequence, but going two or three steps deeper on the way you think about things. So I will be excited to hear what you think about this conversation that I had with Ken Troop on the Business of Fun. All right, I want to welcome back to the Business of Fun podcast, my friend Ken Troop. Ken, how's it going? Great, Dave. How you doing today? Oh man, I'm all right. It is um, a winter day in DC. It is very cold, and so my office is cold in the winter. Is cold in the winter and hot in the summer, no matter what I do. So it's a little chilly up here right now. Yeah. So it goes. Yeah. Now, well, uh, it's, uh, it's springtime here in Dallas, but it's fixing a storm and be cold in the morning. Maybe snow here on Saturday, so you know we'll yeah. catch up to DC at some point. Yeah, you don't want that. You don't, you, you want to leave us far far behind, is what I'm telling you. Uh, I like a little wintry mix. Good for running. Good well, running weather. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that this uh, like 20 degrees with like a little bit of wind is uh, perfect running weather or not. Uh, I, yeah, I, but you know, so it goes. Now. It's the it's the start of 2020, and what I've been doing the last couple of days is I've been having people on who are talking about either uh, data, trends, new ideas for the new year. Um, so I wanted to have you on because you talk, you called me up while I was on the treadmill the other day, and you said, I'm going to do the year of thinking differently this year, Dave. And I said, well, explain it to me, and you did. And I said, well, we should talk about this on the podcast. So explain to everybody what the year of thinking differently to Ken Troop means. You know, I think that you're thinking differently for me is just the fact that, like, I've always been one that has tried to push the envelope on, like, how can we do things different? How can we change the status quo? How can we improve and things like that? And I know in the sports business and entertainment business, so many of us get complacent with, you know, we're doing okay, we're hitting some good numbers, you know, we're kind of um, just treading along. 
um, but without thinking about what's coming next and how can we push the envelope and things like that. And I think I want to encourage people, my whole process is to try to encourage people to really push that envelope and get out there on the limb a little bit more to, um, you know, do things differently, to increase revenue, to do things differently, to increase, you know, staff engagement, um, do things differently to increase fan engagement and things like that and just really kind of think about every day, you know, how can I improve the process? How can I improve things that are working? A, no one can argue with. B, it also falls into some, a, a bit of a trap that a lot of us deal with all the time where it sounds like a bunch of buzzwordy, like kind of meaningless stuff. So can you put a little bit of meat on the bones? Like, you know, when you talk about thinking and acting differently – what does that entail? Like, how, how are you going to challenge yourself and by turn challenge other people to do that so that it moves past like buzzwords and, uh, you know, BS, uh, moves from the land of like, you know, motivational speaking into something that people can really apply. And I ask that not to be a jerk, um, because you know that, but the more because I think people struggle because they have the best intentions, but then they don't necessarily know how to take action on those intentions. Yeah, well, I think, you know, kind of taking from your playbook, really, to, like, script things out and really, like, always have, like, hey, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what's working. First, first you want to do is you want to document everything that's working, right? And, and things where, um, you know, that have been the same or been working over the course of a number of seasons or numbers of years or whatever, right? And then think about, okay, how can, what can I do to enhance these three or four or five or six items that do well, um, but are changing, right? And identify those items that you think are changing or could be changing, right? Um, and then really just script them out. Like, okay, here's what I want to do in the first three months. I want to tackle two of those items on that list. In six months, I want to tackle six of those items and really kind of understand where you are at the beginning of the year, where you want to be at the end of the year, um, I think is a, is a first, um, the first step that you need to take to think about, you know, thinking differently is identifying what you're doing now. Right. And it's the fine opportunities that you could improve, right? Let me, yeah, let me ask you this thing, too, because you, you, you brought it up in a way that I, I found uh, unique and helpful. And it's something I learned from two people, uh, two friends of the podcast, one who's been on, one who has not. Uh, Rob Cressy, who does um, Bacon Sports Podcast, sports, uh, sports Marketing. And then there's a, a lady called Dory Clark, who wrote a great book called Entrepreneurial You. And they talked about breaking the their goals up into uh, Rob is doing it by the quarter, and Dory does it like over six months. And you said break them up like by quarters or six months and figure out where you wanted to be. Um, you know, tell me in your point of view, you know, why that's so valuable to you. And then because – you know, it does make sense to me because I think a year may be too far or too long to think or not long enough to think about certain things. Um, and if you have like a ticket sales goal like you're talking about, it could be too long to think about things because you probably don't have that long and your season's maybe only four to six months long. Um, so like thinking a year is completely um, unproductive. Yeah, no, I agree. That's why I like the quarters. But even when you when you identify, okay, here's where I want to be in a quarter, April 1st, I want to be here, you still then take that next three months and kind of break it down, you know, um, either on a, on a um, you know, by documenting it, here's the steps that I need to take to be there. So it's kind of a mini, 
you know, mini breakdown within that quarter, right? And I love this approach and this strategy because I've always been a big goal setter, right? And really documenting and thinking about where you want to be. Um, I think the other thing to really encourage everybody, Dave, is to think about, okay, here's what I want to change, but here's why the justification is. So you can justify it with your boss and your, your owners for sure, right? And then secondly, you know, how is this going to impact six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, and things like that. One of the frustrations that I've always seen is there's a lot of people that potentially, you know, try to think differently or try to do things differently, but they think about only short term and then checking that box that I've achieved it, but not really understanding what the ramifications of that subtle change could be, right? Um, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, on LinkedIn, the um, – you know, LinkedIn has changed their model and they're really encouraging people to share content and really share video, right? And there's a lot of, you know, folks that are, um, you know, on video and sharing video and things like that. And you can see sometimes where, you know, there's a, me and you watched this last year, a, a sales rep for a club that really kind of dove right in with video really heavily, you know, early in the year, and then he would kind of, you know, petered off um, throughout the season, probably because he was encouraged to do it. He thought it was a good idea, but he didn't really have an end game on where it was going to take him, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I know exactly what you're talking about. If you commit to it, um, you have to understand what the end game is, right? Oh, absolutely. And um, one thing that you brought up that I think is um, that I, I think deserves a follow up too is like you talked about being a very big goal setter and putting the goals in context. Um, and one thing that I know that I probably rant about more than I probably should, or maybe far too regularly, but you know, how do you measure progress, right? And it's um, I've just finished a book because uh, everybody who listens knows I read a lot of books uh, called Fearless Leadership by a guy called Alan Weiss. Uh, and he talked about making sure you're measuring things that are important. And I know that in sales and marketing, it becomes very easy to measure stuff that's easy to measure but has no impact on the bottom line or where you're trying to go as far as achieving your goals. So then when you're thinking about setting goals and measuring your progress towards the achievement of the goals, you know, how do you do it? You know, and how do you frame it in a way that it is meaningful and it um, – you know, moves you towards an outcome that you want to achieve as opposed to just like, well, I made a hundred cold calls today, so I must be doing great. Well, if you made a hundred cold calls today, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you need to think differently, right? So let me ask you, what do you think the number one in sales, like in ticket sales, what do you think the number one, um, you know, um, kind of target or focus of your sales staff or achievement of your, of your sales staff that you that most sales managers are missing, right? Um, that that salespeople now want to achieve. What do you think the number one goal is that people are missing? That managers and leaders are missing when they talk to their sales teams? Well, I think that probably the the number one thing, and I don't know if this is answering your question or not, but the number one thing that the sales manager should be measuring is you know, selling time, right? So it's like how much, you know, how much time you're spending on conversations with prospects or with customers. I'm not exactly sure if I'm answering your question, but to me, that's the, that's the most important thing, right? It's not necessarily how much time you're spending prospecting because if you're spending a lot of time prospecting or you're just doing, spend a lot of time in meetings, you know, that aren't leading to talking to customers or prospects, then I, to me, you're failing, right? Because that's got to be where your emphasis is if your full-time job is selling. 
Yeah, no, I get that totally measuring how much time you're actually actively selling. I guess my question was, let me refine it, uh, what element that a sales rep looks for in their career right now that a lot of managers are missing? And I'll answer it for you. I think it's, uh, we're, I think leadership in general is doing a bad job now of leaning into career development and really helping, you know, the entry level, the mid level sales. Oh, yeah. Manage and grow their career, right? Like, That's a long-term theme of the podcast. Here is is focusing on helping the kids get um, a career path. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that that should definitely be at the forefront. And we've all seen it in real time the last six or eight or ten years, right? Of this idea of now everybody's about job hopping, right? Getting whatever I can do right now to get to that next job, right? So that's what kids and that's what sales reps and that's what you know up-and-coming young professionals in the sports business want. They want to know, how can I get to my next job, right? How can I how can I get my first promotion and things like that? And, and to I, me, it's faulty, right? Like, And, you know, sorry to cut you off, but this is a bad idea because every time somebody leaves your organization, if they're successful enough to move to another job, you lose all of that institutional value, all that knowledge about the marketplace, all these things. It's just that it's an awful business model. I will tell you the other side of that coin, though, is if you're known as someone who's a, a great place to start your career because you're going to get given and taught the tools and show the roadmap on how you can advance your career, then you're going to get better talent on the front side because people want to come work for you because they know you're a thought leader and a, and a brand builder and helping kids and helping young professionals carve out a path. Right. Well, so I think a, a balance. I think in this, right? And there's, yeah. but there's not there. There isn't a there. There should be a balance. A, yeah. B, in most instances, and I would say probably upwards of ninety percent of the instances, there is no balance. Right. There yeah. is no because to me it's ridiculous. And if anybody's listening to this, I would tell them to go back and listen to Tony Knopf's episode when we talked about this again in depth. But if you're turning over 99% of your of your sales team every year, it's not their fault. It's yours, right? It, that's a leadership issue, yeah. right? That's a business model issue. That's a training and development and hiring issue. It's not an issue of the kids because I'm telling you that if you're losing 99% of, of the kids every year that you're hiring, it's not their fault. It's your fault. You're not either putting the kids in a position to be successful. You're not giving them the tools they need to be successful. Maybe you're not training them. You're not hiring the right kids. You're not doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, and it's a bad business model. Yeah, absolutely. And I, if, look, if you're in a situation where you're losing 99% of your staff, the first question is why? You know, uh, you know, when, when you empower um, and put your staff on a path to be successful, whether it's in sales or leadership or career growth or whatever, you know, they're going to get better buy-in for you and they're going to work harder. Not everybody wants to be on that track that wants to leave you and be a VP by the time they're 31, right? But a lot of them just want to be good sellers, right? So you're going to get a balance. Obviously, you got to overroot. If you're overrotating one direction where everybody's leaving you, you know, if they're all leaving you for fantastic jobs and they're all taking great opportunities and things like that, that might be a different conversation. But if they're leaving just because they're kind of pinched or bottlenecked or whatever, and they don't feel like you're getting you're giving them support or buy-in or whatever, then that's a problem. So you know, the balance for sure. You know, I want I want to encourage people to push that envelope a little a bit from a leadership position and and try to empower your people more and try to give them the the um 
you know, the freedom to be a true brand ambassador for your club, right? And, you know, be out there and be um, active in the community and be building relationships and be giving, you know, working on the tools they need to be more successful, whether it's with you or another organization. Right. And one of the things I always tell people is that uh, because there's sort of a um, – a tendency to be like, well, if I if I'm so good at developing people, then, I, then there's no place for me. And I go, there's ne- always a place for somebody who can develop the next group of leaders. There, yeah. it's just completely always um, room for that person. And I think one of the challenges is is that people look at the development of of their team and their employees and other you know the next set of leaders in the wrong way. Right. And it's just like, oh, I want to be indispensable. No, I want to be. And this is me speaking, not just the universal we or anything. Me, when I was in roles and it took me a long time to figure this out. Right. And now it's easy because it's just me. But before, when I worked in organizations, I wanted to make it so that if I got hit by a bus, somebody could fill in for me and the, and the organization would keep moving forward. Um, and that's kind of, you know, a little morbid way to look at it, but that was sort of the way I thought. If something happened to me, I didn't want it to be like, oh, my God, there's nothing we can do now without me. Um, I wanted it to be the exact opposite, that everything could go on without me. And I learned that from the uh, from doing things the other way, where I was the focal point and the center of attention. And it was great for my ego, but it was awful for business results, ultimately. Yeah, we, we talk about that topic a lot in my management class at SMU about, like, you can't manage scared, right? Like, you can't lead scared. And we've all been there. We've all had bosses that lead scared, right? They don't want to give you too much information because they're fearful you're going to take their job. Like your goal should give them, should be to give them the tools to take your job, to be able to backfill if something happened. If you got hit by a bus, it's funny you said that because I use that analogy all the time. Like if you get hit by a bus, is somebody going to be able to pick up the pieces and run with it and help your organization, you know? And those The other thing is, is like it allows you or it should allow you and give you the freedom to work on bigger and better stuff, more interesting challenges in theory. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, if you're, if you're, um, if you're giving, if you're giving too much, if you're giving the information for someone to take your job and they actually take your job, then you're not doing your job well enough. Right. Like you need to have the best leaders in this industry. I think we can agree are ones that are, you know, continually building and and backfilling and making the industry better, making the, the organization better for when they leave, they're in a better spot than when, right? And their staff's in a better spot than when they got there. And they're kind of moving and climbing up that. I think when we get in, in trouble sometimes is those ones that think about the status quo and just staying, you know, oh, I've got my VP job at 32. I'm cool. I'm just going to hang here. I'm just going to do the job. I'm going to hit the numbers. I'm just going to, you know, mildly just kind of tread water and, you know, enjoy the perks of working for a big team or whatever in my town. Right. At 32, if you're treading water, I, I, I feel for you. <laughs> but I, you but know, I know it's I, true. I feel like sometimes I do know it's true. 32, you know, are definitely thinking about what can I do right now to get my, you know, get promoted and go to another club and be a CMO or CF or chief revenue officer, whatever, by the time I'm 40. And you're not thinking about the mentality of you want to leave your organization, you want to leave your staff in a better place than you found them all the time is not necessarily, you know, in, uh, believed by everybody in this industry, I think. 
Well, I wouldn't disagree with that. Now, let me ask you something else, right? Because I know another idea that is really, really close to your heart this year, along with thinking and acting differently, is you are a big fan and proponent, and you brought it up a little bit about being a brand ambassador. But And then you talked about the example of the salesperson who was making videos with seemingly no rhyme nor reason to them. Um, but social selling, right? And yeah. A lot of times when I hear the term, right, I, first I think all selling is social. So it's, I mean, it's a little bit of a, um, again, buzzword. But how do you define social selling for people so that, like, you can, again, take this thing from some meaningless buzzword and put a little bit of, like, um, clarity around it. A little, you know, define social selling through Ken Troop's eyes for me. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think anybody that touches revenue, whether it's on, sales side, premium sales, marketing, or whatever, sponsorship, should have an understanding of how they can use social networking or social channels to build their brand and build their network, right? You know, that's the number one thing. I think a lot of folks still don't understand that and still kind of struggle with the idea of thinking about the idea of, you know, connections. I used to, back in the day, I used to tell my sales team, you know, look, Get out and get involved in the community because you're selling sports, you're selling fun, you're selling happiness, you know, experience, you're selling, you know, employee outings, things like that. Anybody's a contact. Anybody's a potential buyer because you're selling, you know, fun, right, uh, and entertainment. So get out and get involved in the community. You know, go to church if that's your thing. Get Play in a softball league if that's your thing. You know, um, go to a bowling league. Get a running club, you know. Get out there and be social and active and have a network. So now the same thing should be applied to your social media channels, right? You should be active and you shouldn't be, you know, sharing content. This whole idea on LinkedIn right now of like LinkedIn is still, it's a great tool. I love LinkedIn, right? And it's a great way to build your network. But everybody thinks about building their network to land their next job and not really building their network to to do their current job well, right? And the well, LinkedIn, I think, too, and I'm curious about this from, you know, and I'm, I'm probably cutting off the social selling question to jump in with another one, but people use LinkedIn poorly. Full stop. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, and I think that like we all have to get out of this mindset of it's just a platform for me to take, take, take from or to blast, 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 which I know yep. goes into social selling, but. Again, I think I jumped on your toes there a little bit. You should be, you know, your, your, the, the ideal LinkedIn profile, the ideal social profile for me is you should be a resource to your network, right? Like if you're talking, if you sell premium in a, in a, in a big city, you know, and you're, what do you, what do you do at the end of the day? You, you help clubs, or you help uh, businesses in your market, you know, um, uh, fix business, solu- you know, have business solutions and fix problems, right? Mm-hmm. Like, retention or how do you attract top candidates things like that so instead of selling instead of sharing content that says hey this is what i offer and this is how we could you should be talking about the whole space in general of like hey here's what the best organizations do to retain employees here's what the best organizations do to find new employees here's the best continuing education programs that top fortune 500 companies do mm-hmm. right and oh, by happenstance, your solution happens to fall into, you know, something that these teams, these best do, right? And it's it's not it's it's pretty subtle. It's 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 
it's not talking about, it's not always talking about me, 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 and what I can do, 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 do. It's talking about the industry, the space that I'm in, the hospitality space that I'm in as a, as an overarching thing. And how can I community who out there for a club that for is a seller is out there that has a coffee group together of other industry professionals talking about hospitality right talking about marketing for you know widget companies and marketing for you know um, hospitality and sports teams and things like that like build your network we're all really good on linkedin and building our network within the sports entertainment but how are you good at building your network within the hospitality um, and client retention space? Right. You know? Well, we're, we're, I think we, um, and I would, I would, I would, if I'm being generous with myself, I guess that's the way I'll put it. Then I think I do a fairly competent job of being a content marketer, which I guess would be a synonym for um, social selling in a way. And I've always viewed it as like being a bit of a teacher and an educator. And I, you know, I have a huge network of folks, right? And, uh, you know, a lot of it exists online. But with the Talking Tickets newsletter, right? Like every week I tell you where I'm going to be so that I, that way I can take this online aspect of networking offline. And like you said, if you're in a big city or a small city, any city, and there's hotels and restaurants and bars and all these people, get a group together of people who are all targeting the same industry, or the same kind of buyers because it's not like you're the only game in town, right? Yeah. It's not like they're always just going to go to one restaurant, right? No, that's, that's unrealistic. It's like work together to be able to fully serve the people that you're trying to serve because you're going to get better prospects. You're going to get more and better prospects by being wise about building a network offline with people in your industry that are focusing on things, right? Yeah. And, and doing crazy stuff. I mean, I went to Melbourne, Australia last year. I know that anybody who's been listening for any ex period of time have heard me talk about Australia for six months. And, but I'm going to tell one more story. And it was like I was there in Melbourne with Derek Palmer, who is the – I forget exactly what his role is. I think he's the board chair of Intex, or he will be um, for at least a couple days or something. I don't know. Whatever. But I was there with Derek Palmer, and we were talking about putting together a group – of people in Melbourne who are all in sports and entertainment, who are trying to reach together. Don't try to solve all these problems alone. Don't just operate in a bubble. Get out, get together. That's social selling to me. Well, the, the biggest problem is, hey, if I work in cricket, I can't be friends with somebody that works in rugby because, you know, um, if I expose my potential client to a different sport, they might go there. Like you have to have the you have to have the strength and the understanding that you're going to lose, you know these some of these clients that you work with to other entertainment opportunities in the town or in the market every once in a while. You know I used to, you know the, the you know in the group sales business right like the big company picnic is the big out the big you know home run right you want them to buy two thousand tickets for their company outing but you have to know you have to be confident to know that hey I'm not going to get them every year. You know, it's okay if you go to Six Flags or it's okay you go to, you know, another opportunity in town, you know, every other year or whatever. As long as I give you the best service I can when you're with me, I know you're going to come back the next year. And I know I'm going to have a chance. I can get uh, referrals. There might be other people in your, in your, in the business that want to do something similar. I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities. There. Yeah. The key is to always be backfilling so in that big group, 
that big mammoth, you know, picnic goes somewhere else that year. You got another two or three or four that are backfilling that same year and they're hopscotching over. And then every once in a while they hit on the same year and your group numbers really move, you know? Yeah. And, and I, by the same sort of element, there's also this idea too that I don't want to expose myself or my clients to, uh, a industry or a different segment of the industry, right? Like, so I'm competing against, oh, I'm a best, my idea of what hospitality is or services or something, it only yeah. is in this bubble I live in, right? And so you're a little concerned about maybe sharing and exposing people to the level of service at like the Four Seasons or at the St. Regis or at the Marriott Marquis or any of these different organizations. And I see it all the time when I go to places, right? I'm not, I don't want to name any names, but their idea of what great service is, targeting someone who's like me, right, is completely disconnected from what I view good services. And I think that, yeah. you know, and then I talk to people because all the time people I know who are similar to me, right, who, you know, have a higher net worth and have all these things going for them are going – this doesn't meet my needs. And I tell the teams, I go, hey, look, this is a challenge that somebody brought to my attention. I wanted you to know. And then they just go and they stick their heads in the sand. You can't do that, right? Because you don't exist in a bubble, right? Just because I expect a premium level of service, just because you call it premium doesn't mean it's premium. You have to know what you exist in. Yeah. Well, I had a really good answer for you. The path you were taking me down, then you kind of dribbled off at the end. But I was going to say that the same discussion we just had about managing, you know, fearfully and not giving your staff the tools to be successful is the same way when you're selling. You can't sell with the idea that, oh, man, I might lose them to somebody else. Yes, you're going to lose them to somebody else potentially. That's part of the game. You might even want to lose them to somebody else. They might not be a good fit for you anymore. You might be doing them a service. Absolutely. You know, that gets back to my core of selling. Sell people what they want to buy first. That's the biggest key for me in selling is sell them what they want to buy. You know, whether it's a smaller package or, you know, over the moon package, right? Sell them what they want to buy and you're going to get better buy-in from them. You're going to get more referrals. You're going to get, you know, people that, hey, my company's got to go here this year, but... My other buddy in my network has a similar company, and he's looking for some place for his picnic, and he can also come. You know, he'll go to you. So, you know, don't fear with the don't don't sell with the idea that I might lose them. Sell with the idea of you know I'm going to give them the absolutely best product, experience, service at the time and the moment, and then you know worry about and think about what's going to happen after that. After that, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that again, it's like leading scared you can't sell scared either you have to yeah you have to know that you're doing the best you can you know to provide the best service and experience that you can and that you're focused on the customer first and providing value and that you're you know if that doesn't line up with what the person needs there's not necessarily something you can always do about that but here's the catch dave you gotta you gotta you gotta actually buy in you actually have to do that you actually have to sell to your best abilities. You have to service to your best abilities. And sometimes we don't do that. We were watching, I was listening to a podcast or a TED Talk yesterday um, that was um, a gentleman talking about, you know, his, he runs in uh, a hotel in, um, in um, L.A., right? And he, he was talking about your goal 
is to create memories, just like these micro-memories. Give them a reason to want to experience and come back. Once you sell something, you're, the, the process is not over. It's about creating great experiences and, great, and, and, and fulfilling that on the back end. So when they're in your ballpark, your stadium, your arena, you're actually, you know, giving them a reason to want to come back. You know, I used to... Um, my buddy Colin Faulkner is at the Cubs now, and I, back in the day, the Rangers stars, I had this approach, and we both did it. We went up to the upper level, and my, my goal was, I've always had this philosophy, if I can win one fan at a time, I'm doing my job, right? And I would go to the upper tank. There was one game, there was a rainout makeup midweek game for the Rangers. There might have been, you know, 8,000 people in the stadium total for this random Thursday game, you know, in September or whatever. I walked the upper level and I shook every hand. And here's what, and people go, oh, how do you shake hands? What do you say? All you have to say is, hey, I'm Ken with the Rangers. I just want to thank you for coming out to the ballpark today. Do you have any questions I can answer? That's all you have to say. And then if it, well, I'm good. Thanks. And just move on. We all forget when you're in the sports business uh, just how cool it is to go to a building, right? And have the opportunity to be in a stadium, right? And if someone from the front office of that organization comes up and say, hey, thanks for coming. We appreciate your business. You know, can I shake your hand? That's a win for me. And that's always been a win for me. And that's what this TED talk was talking about, creating these little wins when someone's experiencing your product to make them want to come back and make them want to talk about you, right? And we, we forget about that. We're not doing that, you know, as much as we should be. Well, I think that part of this, and this is something I've heard from working with people in all kinds of industries, is that the reason people aren't doing that too is they're worried that they're going to get some sort of negative feedback. And I, and I go, it may be true, right? But the thing is, is that it's great when you get negative feedback because then it's a, something that you may not know is going on. And then number two, if you solve it, then you look like a champion. Because yeah. as soon as somebody comes up to you and says, there's something wrong, you fix it. You yeah. go out of your way to fix it. And then you know that, like, hey, if one person's having this problem, it might be going on for a lot of people, and they never make a complaint about it. They just don't show up. That's Yeah, that's yeah, great point. There's a couple of tangents I could go there. Uh, you know, one is that's why I believe in, like, having a social network and listening to your social network because it used to be back in the day you'd walk down into a seating bowl and, like, you'd get dark eyes to stare at you. Oh, that's the guy that wouldn't let me get the hot dog, the extra hot dog for my kid or whatever, bad experience. And they talked about it with their little seat group, right? And then they, you would come down there and you just get bombed with, hey, 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 we're mad. Now with social channels and people, a lot of people are sharing experiences in real time. This is why big Fortune 500 companies listen to Twitter, right? Because they try to put out fires in real time, right? It happened to me the other day with a bad experience at a, at a Chinese restaurant on Christmas Eve. You know, I tweeted about it and it's <laughs> right away, you know? And you have the opportunity to put out fires in real time. But if you're not putting out fires, all they're going to do is fester and fester and fester, and then you're going to have a problem or a movement, right, yeah. that you can't put out. Yeah, the worst thing, the worst emotion that you evoke is apathy, right? So you screw something up and people are just like, eh, it's fine. These people suck. I'll just go do something else next time. That's the worst thing. Is I, I want people either – to be like happy enough that they're like talking about how much they love it, or if they're if something's wrong, angry enough to tell me so I can fix it. Right? Yeah. I just don't want to. I don't want to create apathy, right? Well, Which is, I think, a really, um, you know, smart, other, smart lesson ever, for everybody, right? It's like you can't. Yeah, you don't want to be milk toast. Yeah. The other thing to really think about, you know, empowering your people to solve problems, right? 
a lot of people don't want to step into a problem because they, they're not empowered to fix it, right? I was talking to a 25-year-old sales rep the other day, and she was telling me that in her arena, she witnessed, um, you know, a guy had a beer, like, spilled, like, and it went all down the kids, like the eight-year-old kids, just drenched the kid in beer, right? So she immediately went up to the merchandise shop, got a new hoodie, went down there, presented it to the kid, saw about it, brought him some towels, brought him a new hoodie, like, and she goes, I didn't, I'm not empowered to do that. I just figured I'd worry about it after the fact, you know, and talk to my boss about, hey, can I expense this? You know, because, but that's great customer service. And now every time she's individual, this kid, he always wearing that hoodie at the games, you know, every, every time without fail. And that's a moment that she saw a, a bad, you know, um, potentially bad customer service experience and she turned it into a positive and she just did it on her own and she was empowered to do it. Well, she wasn't necessarily empowered to do it. She just did it and then went to her boss after and said, hey, this is what I did. Hopefully the boss supported her and said, yeah, 100%, great job, you know, expense it, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't speak strongly enough on the need to empower people to do things because I think that if you put faith in people, more often than not, they're going to make a wise decision. And I am doing, you know, Intix is coming up as we're doing this in about 10 days. Um, and I'm going to be doing a panel at Intix on customer service as a, as the best form of marketing, right? And the people that are going to be on this panel, uh, that's the, these examples are exactly what they lead with, right? So it's like, Take the time to understand and have empathy for your customer and treat them the way you would want to be treated. When I was in, again, another Australia story, when I was in Australia, the thing I taught people was that, like, as you're approaching a customer, right, in a customer service interaction, think about it and put it in the, the context of how would you feel if this happened to you? Or how would you feel if this happened to your family or your or your mom? And it'll usually change the way you you make decisions if you yeah. put it in that context. Yeah, I'll build on that. Always think about that. That's that fan's first interaction, first experience at your stadium every time. Yeah. If you think about it like that, you know. Um, I was at a game last. I was at a, a game last night, and they had a you know, hey, we win. You get free chicken at the local chicken shop, you know, <laughs> right? Which is a which is a standard activation, right? Yeah. But on their on their drop, they're like, "Hey, you fan, if we win, <clears throat> please visit the marketing table to pick up your free coupon." So what are we doing right away? We're making it difficult for the fan to actually get that free chicken by having to make a special, you know, how it blew me away that how most teams I think get this. You're at the, either the ushers have the coupons, they're passing them out, they're passing them out as people going out the gate or whatever. I'm not making my fan go to a specific table to pick up this one-off coupon to get a free piece of chicken in the morning, right? Um, probably totally unrelated to what you said, but um, it just came top of mind. <laughs> no, it, it, it really it does reflect on the idea of customer service. Uh, it's a design thinking concept, which I don't remember who we I had a pretty in-depth design thinking conversation on the podcast recently. But yeah. it's just like thinking through how you want people to experience your experience and yeah. then creating it in a way that is reflects what you want the person to feel. And I feel like a lot of times when we're dealing with you know, and this has gone off from like sales and, you know, but I guess it goes with thinking differently is that we, 
we put, you know, we think too much about like what's easiest for us, right? In our, in our job and our role. And if you go back a little bit to when Richard Howell was on the podcast, who's a super smart guy from England, uh, he talked about tickets being the only industry that's set up to what's easiest for the people doing the job, not for the people who are supporting the job by being customers. And I think that things like this definitely reflect that and empowering your customers and, or I mean, empowering your team to serve your customers with empathy and with thoughtfulness, it should be a winning formula. But all too often, it's something that doesn't necessarily um, get handled that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so even thinking about, okay, how can we improve customer service and whiteboarding the situation with your staff, right? How many how many teams routinely do innovation workshops, you know, with their staff on how they can improve and how they can do better, right? Probably not a lot. Like, I'm about to take the week from Friday. I start um, back, and I'm teaching sports revenue, which is a class I teach at SMU. And the first day, like, we're going to talk about, hey, give me your three best ideas on how you can improve revenue, how you can, how you can grow revenue, right? And let's just whiteboard the whole thing. Let's put everything up on the board, and let's identify the best the best philosophies and things like that. And hopefully at that level, I'm hoping for them to think about, you know, customer service, you know, um, you know, all the different elements that you can do to grow revenue and to make sure that fans keep coming back and they're stair-stepping up your revenue chain. So many teams think about the home run. How can I get you to buy the most possible, you know, package, the biggest package, the most number of games, the most dollar amount now, rather than, okay, how can I get you in? How can I give you great service? How can I stair-step you up and build a long-term relationship with this organization that you're going to stay with me no matter what happens on the field? No matter if I'm here or not, you're you're going to be a long-term fan, and that stair-step approach to selling helps build into that fandom, right? You know, fandomness. So, lifetime fan value is yeah. a term that I've used over the years, uh, countless times, and it's something that should be at the heart of all our business decisions. Yeah. Um, so I, I have I have one that my dogs are barking. I don't know if you hopefully you can't hear them. <laughs> It's a, we're a dog-friendly podcast here, don't yeah, you worry. Yeah, well, they're tearing up my street out in front of my house, so the dogs are just going pretty much nuts. And I tried to put them in the back room, but they're getting impatient. But I have said one point about this idea of thinking differently. Like, So they, we just had the Winter Classic here in Dallas, right, um, where the, the Stars and the Preds played on New Year's Day at the Cotton Bowl, which is about a mile and a half from my house. And the presentation that they did, was so great because it, it embraced everything Texas, right? I mean, for this whole week after the, 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 the Winter Classic, the Bridgestone Winter Classic, I should give credit to Bridgestone, the Bridgestone Winter Classic, they were um, talking about in the market about the pig races and the, uh, the sheep busting for five-year-olds and the horses that were on the, you know, on the Cotton Bowl floor, you know, and the whole presentation and things like that. You know, and they embraced everything Texas, right? And then I was watching, and, and no offense to the Idaho Potato Bowl, but I was watching that, and there was about a third crowd, right? And I don't, like, everything I've ever heard about, um, you know, Idaho, the one time I've been there, like, it's a great place. It's a great place to go, and they've got all these cool stuff. It's really outdoors. It is a beautiful state. 
So, like, what are you doing on your one-off bowl game to embrace everything Idaho, everything Boise, you know, to show and approve? And all of the bowl games did this, right? Like, what am I doing to highlight Orlando with with everything you know, on the interaction and the, and the show and everything like that around the bowl game, you know? It's, I've got oranges in my trophy. It's going yeah, to be it's, it's yeah. Florida, baby. <laughs> it's, I mean, most of the bowl games now are just big, t- you know, television production sites, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but still, for me... I'm a big believer that building that lifetime fan, the four things to get that total fan is, you know, they're, they're involved in the sport, whether they're supporting their kid, you know, coaching, you know, youth sports or whatever. They're buying merchandise. They're tuning in and watching. But number one is they're attending games. I don't think you can necessarily build a lifelong fan without them experiencing your game your, your, in real time, like live. You know, I think that's part of the process. And I think we've taken the eye off that ball because media rights is so great. We don't have to worry about the revenue. Everyone, I mean, I teach a revenue class. Revenue's great. But me, attendance and fans, butts and seats, and, and building, um, you know, having that experience of seeing a live event, then makes me want to tune in and watch it on TV. Then wants me to buy a hoodie. Then wants me to be involved in coaching my kid, things like that. And the, the being live at the game, and that's one thing that I think we've taken the ball off of a lot. I mean, look, you hear MLB all day long talk about revenue, 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 right? But attendance has been going down over the course of X number of years, right? And for me, I hate to see that because I think – oh, your sound is out. No oh, sound. I, I, I was going to say – and, you know, they, they, the numbers that they report are brutal. Um, but, you know, and if they're saying they've lost 10% or so of attendance over the last few years, it's got to be closer to 50 or 75% because, I mean, those, like, who are you going to believe, them or your lying eyes? Yeah. Well, and, and I think the media rights, the money is great, but the thing is, is the unintended consequences of these things. You have to, yeah. You know, they've become where subservient to the t- to the to the media companies, whereas the media companies wanted to invest in sports because there was something of value there, and like the whole value chain has become screwed, yeah. and but it's causing all these unintended consequences. It, the great thing about attendance numbers is I can make them tell the story that I want to tell, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no matter what, I can find that one. Oh no, we're up nine percent in that particular section in that row. Nine percent. You know, I can yeah. I can find a positive story in any attendance number, right? Yeah. But am I tell if I really tell the true story of the the health of my sport, the health of my organization, right? Yeah, yeah we, and, and this goes back to um, really just like the basis of my work, and that's if you're not being honest with yourself, there's not a lot that I can do to help you. And I think that that's like as you approach the year of thinking differently and you're talking to people, you know, you're teaching your kids about revenue at SMU and you're talking to people about doing things differently or changing their approach. The number one thing, the place to jump off from is like I need to be honest with myself about what I'm really dealing with, because until I'm honest about what I'm dealing with, I can't create change. Yeah, because. absolutely, and, that, and that's the that's probably the best place to leave that. Ken, where do people find you? I want to plug the social for Tick Sales Twitter chat on Sunday nights. But where yes. else can we find you? Uh, well, you can find me on LinkedIn, of course, and then on Twitter at KT Sports Market. 
um, on Twitter. And then on Sunday nights, Dave, thank you, uh, for about 10 years between Tuesday and Sunday. Plug, plug, plug. I've been doing a social for ticket sales, which is the hashtag is social, the letter, the number four, tick sales, um, chat, just talking about ticket sales, best practices, and marketing, which are highly combined, uh, for an hour every Sunday night at 8 o'clock Central Time, so 9 o'clock Eastern. So, love to have you join. Listen, uh, I'm telling you, we didn't talk about Twitter very much, but, I mean, Twitter is such a great tool to build your network, you know, within the industry and to find out how to get better at your job. That's right. How you can think different. Exactly. And, and follow, um, you know, I think uh, I'm going to start putting together a little bit of a, a Twitter list for people who I think approach these things in a unique or um, contrarian fashion. So, Ken, thank you so much for doing this, my friend. You bet. Thanks, Dave. Anytime. Well, what did you think of my conversation with Ken Troop? Let me know by sending me an email. It is my name. It's Dave at DaveWakeman.com. You can also visit my website, and I would love it if you did. It's www.davewakeman.com. You'll find all kinds of great stuff there. Um, one thing I didn't mention in the intro, and I guess this encourages you to listen to the very end, is that I am putting together a road show. Um, it is still in the planning stages, but I should have something to announce probably in the next two weeks about a tr- upcoming trip to London to Manchester and to Edinburgh. I mean, it sounds great to me. It's going to be awesome. Um, So you're going to want to keep an eye on my website because that's probably the first place that I'm going to announce it. Um, If that's not the first place, the second place will be in the Talking Tickets newsletter, which you can find the link to by visiting my website and clicking on the Get Talking Tickets newsletter link at the very top of the page. As always, I dig it if you would hook up with me on the social media you can find me on linkedin just search my name dave wakeman you can also follow me on twitter as i have been saying now for almost two years if you know the guy who has the at dave wakeman twitter handle i'd love it i need it i want it i was so excited when they were going to purge these dormant usernames i wanted dave wakeman so bad i still haven't got it but so i'm at david wakeman on the twitter um if you like what i'm doing on the podcast i'd love it if you'd share it with colleagues, friends, um, people you think could learn something from these conversations that I have. Um, It means a lot to me. It helps keep the podcast growing. And it's just really, um, I've been overwhelmed to find that people have found some of these conversations so useful and so um, impactful on the way that they approach their business. So if you do, please share with people that you think will gain something from it. Secondly, if you've been sharing, if you dig the podcast and you haven't been a, become, a, uh, become a subscriber, why not? We're on most of the podcast uh, platforms now, um, if not all of them. You know, So get it wherever you can get your all your podcasting listening. You know, Get it in your ear, ear, ear holes, right? And then finally, if you share it, if you subscribe to the podcast, and if you are so inclined, I would love it if you'd leave a review or a rating. Uh, Again, these things help make sure that people uncover the podcast. It helps encourage people to continue to come on the podcast, and it makes sure that I have the ability to continue to deliver great conversations, great ideas um, to you and your organization. So please do that for me. As always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect for being my partner 
on the Business of Fun podcast. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to meet us at Intix, what happened? Where were you? We were there. We had a great time. Um, but make sure you check them out at the Ticketing Professionals Conference coming up in Birmingham, England. Um, or just check them out on their website, www.bookingprotect.com. Find out how you can give your customers world-class customer service, a better buying experience, and how you can create a new stream of revenue for your organization. Um, I had someone who will remain nameless sent me an email and said one of the nice things about working with Booking Protect is the fact that as great as the product is, the people are just as good. And I couldn't agree more. Um, so check them out. You know, connect with Simon and Kat and Kath and Abby, you know, on social media or on LinkedIn. You know, tell them I told you to say hello. Um, they're as good as they are at delivering refund protection. They're just as good as people. So uh, check them out. BookingProtect.com finally make sure that you don't miss our new ebook what matters in ticketing now it's super cool it's 40 people from all over the world uh, south america north america europe australia i don't know if i got anybody from asia but i guess that looks like a good opportunity to do something new um it's awesome uh like i said at the start kate Markowski sent me an email and she said this is amazing um, if everybody put this to use, it would be like having the coolest, greatest venue in the world. And I couldn't agree more. Um, the people's ideas in this thing are so generous and so great. Um, it's really uh, it turned out way, way um, better than I could have hoped for. Uh, it's, it's pretty to look at. It's awesome. And you can get it by going to the Booking Protect blog. So that's www bookingprotect.com forward slash blog forward slash and you'll get it you can sign up there and then over the next couple days you will see us announcing a webinar with some takeaways key themes action items from my point of view that are add additional value to you and maybe help you be able to put some of these ideas to work in your organization so you know, keep an eye on the podcast, keep an eye on the blog, uh, get the Talking Tickets newsletter. All this stuff will be there. So um, thank you again for listening. Um, since this is the first episode since I got back from Intix, um, thank you to everybody who came to our sessions. Uh, I, I was so thrilled to be able to share um, Gabe Johnson's ideas, uh, Angela Higgins' ideas, Martin Gameltoff's ideas on the discounting panel and i was so thrilled um for all of you to come and see simon mab and frederick awad and uh, Ghislaine bullman talk about customer service um the feedback on both of them was really really good um if you've heard something you liked or dug send me an email david let me know your key takeaway from intix and until next time thank you so much for listening i'll talk to you soon take care <laughs>